Welcome to the Amherst Wesleyan Church Sermon Podcast. How many of you have ever been working on a project at home, or maybe just in life, or maybe even at work, and you're getting some progress, and you're feeling really good about how things are going, and all of a sudden, things just fall apart. Maybe because you cut corners, you got prideful, you got ignorant, and you missed a step. Has that ever happened to anyone here? Okay. A few hands. All right. Let me just give you a quick little story of how this sort of happened with Olivia and I. So Olivia, if, if you don't know this, she was born in the U.S. She's American. And when we got married, we brought her over to Canada, and we had to deal with immigration, which was the worst. Anyone have to ever deal with immigration before? Okay, a few hands. It's terrible. So anyway, we were working towards getting her permanent resident card, and there was like a stack of forms that had to be filled out, and all this paperwork, and all these different things. And so we were working really hard to make sure we had everything in order, and everything all put together neatly and nicely, and we were feeling really good. We were like, we got that thing done, we got that form done, we did that appointment and that appointment. Everything's going really well. So we got it all together and we mailed it in. And of course, it takes several months before they even reply to you and say, here's how it went. We got the reply back a couple months later and realized it was denied, realized it was rejected. And we thought, oh no, what happened there? So we went through the entire thing and we realized we missed one signature on one piece of paper. We got everything else right, except for that one signature, and that delayed things by about nine months, which made it just absolutely brutal. And so sometimes we have something we're working on, uh, and we're making progress, and we're feeling good, but then things fall apart because we skip a step. Maybe you're trying to sell your car, and you line up a buyer, and you're getting the price you want and everything's going well, but you forget to fill out a section in the, uh, the, the thing where you, what do you call that when you go to sell a car? The form, right? You forget that and then all of a sudden, <laughs> you forget that and then all of a sudden the sale falls through because the guy you're selling it to, he's mad at you, like, you're an idiot, you should have had that put together and then it falls apart. Or maybe you're planting a garden, and so you put down the soil, you put down the seed, you're tilling it, you're working it, you're pulling out all the weeds, but then you forget to water it, and everything dies, right? Or maybe you're renovating your house, and you've got the contractors in, and they're doing a great job, and and this project's done, the kitchen's done, the bathroom's done, everything's looking great, but then you realize near the end you forgot to make a budget, and now you can't afford the materials to finish the job, and your house looks like a half-finished mess, right? Has any of that ever happened to any of us here? We, we work on stuff, we work really hard, we try to get it done, but we skip a step, and then things just fall apart. When we miss steps, or cut corners, or don't follow through, or make excuses, 
things will fall apart rather quickly. And if we continue to do that and never learn to get out of that pattern of skipping steps and cutting corners, it can become this habit that we form that is so hard to break, almost impossible to break. And so when that happens, we'll say to ourselves, oh, it's, it's no problem. This will work itself out. It's not a big deal. It doesn't really matter. I can skip that step. I, I, can, I can ignore that. I can be a little bad. I can indulge a little bit on that thing that's maybe not so good for me. You see, this idea matters greatly when it comes to just ordinary things like planning a garden and renovating your house or dealing with your wife's immigration process. But it matters so much more when it comes to our spiritual lives. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 4 through 7. We're not going to camp here necessarily, but this is going to set us up for the remainder of what we're going to talk about. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 to 7. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old. Can you imagine if all the youth decided to go to like a senior's lunch someday and Behold, you're old. Anyway. <laughs> Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. This is a turning point in Israel's history. From the time of Abraham... Up until this point, God had been Israel's king, you could say. God was leading the people. He had people serving him to help guide the Israelites, like Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all the other judges and so on. But through all of that, God was the king of the Israelites. They were to follow him and worship him, and he was the boss. But then the people got a little selfish, a little ignorant, a little prideful, and thought we can do things better on our own with an earthly king. They started looking around at other people groups and other nations, and they had earthly kings, and they seemed to be doing really well. They were prosperous and things like that. So they said, you know what? That's our problem. We've got this heavenly king, God, but, you know, it's not really working out. Let's get ourselves an earthly king. And so they come to Samuel and they say, give us a king. We, we're, we're done with God being the king. We want our own earthly king. And so Samuel says to them, and, and God is saying this through Samuel, this isn't going to work out. I'm going to let you do this, but it's not going to go well for you. It's going to go bad. And if you read the rest of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and First and Second Kings, those four books, you'll see 
that promise comes very much true. King after king make really bad decisions, really bad mistakes. They cut corners, they skip steps in their own spiritual lives and cause the downfall of Israel, which culminates in them going into exile so many years later. Saul was the first king of Israel. He got prideful, and he forgot that God was the one in charge, and he ignored God's direction. And so Saul's reign was taken from him by God, and his life was utterly ruined by it. David succeeded Saul. And even though David was considered to be a man after God's own heart, he still cut corners and skipped important steps in his spiritual life when he slept with Bathsheba. That event caused a chain reaction of all kinds of craziness that eventually led to the kingdom of Israel being split in two through a series of civil wars. There was a long list of kings after Saul and David. David's son Solomon, he was the next one. He turned out to be really bad. He liked to sleep with a lot of of women and worship a lot of idols. And after Solomon and all these generations and, and kings after them, there was so much idolatry, so much sin, so much cutting corners, so much ignorance towards what God had instructed Israel to do, that the whole nation of Israel became rotten to the core. Even the good kings, because there were a few, even the good kings chose to ignore the problems that were going on in Israel and did nothing about it. That is, except for one. Turn with me now to Second uh, Kings chapter 23. And I'm going to read to you a pretty long section of scripture, but I want us to read this with the idea in mind that years prior to this event, there was king after king after king who was corrupt and sinful and led Israel into doing wrong things. This is King Josiah. And I want us to see what Josiah had to do to help try and correct things and just how bad things got in the nation of Israel. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and, and that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook. Oh, hang on. I, I turned two pages together. That, that's what threw me off. <laughs> I was like, that's not right. All right. Let me start over. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies, and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron, 
and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, and to the moon, and to the constellations, and all the hosts of heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron, and burned it at the, book, at the brook Kidron, and beat it to dust, and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes, who were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on ones left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topeth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch any longer. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire, and the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He pulled down and broke in pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the ashram, And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount, and he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed, who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be. Let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. And then he returned to Jerusalem. That was a long bit of scripture. Lots of funny names, lots of funny location names, maybe a little bit confusing. But the point of all that is to show how deeply corrupt Israel became under the leadership of bad kings who skipped steps and ignored God's directions. The amount of idolatry, 
the number of altars built to other gods, the amount of priests doing unspeakable things, the fact that they were sacrificing their children on altars, Israel became an awful, awful place. And if we didn't know any better, if we read that story, we might think that this was just a story about some pagan country. This is what happened to Israel when they cut corners and skipped important steps in their spiritual lives when it came to following God. The sins of Saul, of David, of Solomon, and all the others, the spiritual neglect, the refusal to take God at his word and take his word seriously led to deep spiritual rot in the nation of Israel. They chose to be okay with it. They chose to be okay with skipping steps and not taking care of the things that were important. And there were consequences each time. But when Josiah became king, he demolished it all. And he took God seriously. And as much as I find that story about Josiah inspiring, I go, yeah, like, sometimes we just need a Josiah to come in and and clear out all the clutter and clear out all the junk and tear down all the altars and and remove all the idols from our, our presence so that God is the center focus of our attention. It still wasn't enough. Because right after Josiah died, there was four other kings right after him, and they brought it all back. All the altars all the child sacrifice, all the prostitution, all the terrible corruption came right back in right after Josiah passed. You see, when we leave God's will undone, it will undo everything else. Let me say that one more time. When you leave God's will undone, it will undo everything else. Too often, we can be like these Israelite kings who get in this pattern of cutting corners and skipping steps. When it comes to issues like sin, maybe we'll, we'll get rid of most of the sin in our lives, we'll be convicted of most of it, and we'll say, well, you know, I'm doing really well with uh, dealing with the sin in my life, and I've, I've got it all pretty well figured out, except this one thing, and it's not so bad, that one thing. I, I think I'll hold on to that. And if we do that, eventually that one thing we're still holding on to, that sin that maybe is minor, is going to take hold of our lives and bring us right back down no matter how much progress we make. We might convince ourselves that there's no harm and a little indulgence. Maybe it's a little gray matter, a little little issue that's, oh, there's nothing much in Scripture to support me not doing that, so it's probably okay. But then that opens the door for your friends, for your children, for anyone who's watching you to go, well, if they can handle that, so can I. And so not only does that thing grab hold of your life, but it grabs hold of the lives of other people around you who you influence, and you bring them down with you. When it comes to issues like forgiveness, we might be able to recognize that we're forgiven of our sin by God. That's a very important step in our spiritual journeys. But we might forget that we actually need to confess our sin to those we have wronged and ask them for forgiveness. I may have wronged somebody and, well, God forgave me for that, so I'll just leave it at that. No, I need to go to that person and and tell them, I did you wrong. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. 
If we don't do that, those people we've wronged eventually get turned off and they go, you say you're a Christian, you've not yet come to reconcile with me. I think I'm done. And that relationship never heals. Or maybe when it comes to how we've been wronged, we'll, we'll forgive some people, we'll, we'll forgive the, the easy things. Oh yeah, your spouse said something not nice to you. You forgive that pretty easily. But then for that person who hurt you deeply, where you're just holding on to bitterness, where you're holding on to anger, you go, well, pff, I'm not forgiving them. I can forgive just about anyone else because God tells me I should, but them, mm-mm, can't do it. And so then, again, that relationship is never fully healed and never fully gets fixed. And then you become cold and hard and eventually slip away from following God. When it comes to issues like our obedience and our calling, God might call you to do something hard and and you'll say, yes, Lord, I will do it. I will follow through. I will do that thing you've called me to do. I'll volunteer for that ministry, but only do it half-heartedly and not follow through all the way. You'll do step one and two, but step three, mm, too hard. Can't do it. I did step one and two, though, so I should be okay. No. When we do that, we miss out on everything that God has for us, and we don't reach our fullest potential God has in store. Or maybe we'll say, you know, our, our church, it needs to make some changes so that we can reach other people, and so we'll, we'll get excited about that, and we'll add some programs, and we'll add some ministries, and we'll, we'll change decorations or something like that, and we'll get really excited. Oh, yeah, things are going really well. But then there's this one thing in the church that, for whatever reason, becomes like a sacred calf, and we go, mm, can't get rid of that. That's, that's too nice. Makes me feel comfortable. Let's not get rid of that. And then what happens is the people we need to reach don't get reached because of that one stumbling block we're unable to let go of. When you leave God's will undone, it will undo everything else, whether that's in your sin life, if that's in your ability to forgive others, if that's in your ability to obey God or to make changes in your life. If we leave God's will undone, it undoes everything else. So what do we do about all this? Well, with sin... We have to get rid of it all. We can't hold on to those little things that we like. God calls us to holiness, to take a next step, to let go of those things. And so we have to get rid of it all now. When it comes to issues like forgiveness and confession, we actually have to forgive those people who hurt us and not pretend like it didn't matter. And for the people that we've hurt, we actually have to go to them and ask for forgiveness and seek reconciliation. When it comes to our level of obedience to God, we have to go the distance. If God calls you to go this far, you got to go that far. Not this far, this far. You have to go the distance and hold nothing back. Obey God completely. Because when we leave God's will undone, It will undo everything else. Thanks for listening and being part of our church and joining us in this journey to become down-to-earth people following Jesus in down-to-earth ways.